Welcome to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries, a Christ-centered conversation that will encourage and inspire you to live a better life. Now let's join Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. Hello and welcome to Hacks for Life. I'm here with Scott Rahi and we're having a kind of an ongoing conversation. This is a continuation from the previous um, two conversations. So uh, I hope you're able to follow along and um, I hope you're, you're being blessed by um, the conversations. We just kind of try to figure out how to help people um, find God and uh, develop a, a healthy relationship with Him. So, uh, Scott, uh, take us away. Okay. So we're slowly working our, our way through various sort of definitions of uh, free will. And uh, you remember I, I talked a couple of times ago about how even among Christians, we will talk about the term, sometimes different terms. We'll say, we'll, you know, we have a meaning in our head and the other person has a different meaning. Free will is one of those. And when it comes to Christians, um, you'll hear this come up a lot whenever it's uh, Calvinists and Arminians talking. We're digging into a kind of a theological area. Calvinism is a particular view about the nature of God and the nature of man and the way that, you know, who is it that's saved? You know, you'll hear, I don't want to get into a lot about Calvinism yeah. here. But, well, but Calvin was a theologian. He was a theologian, And, and he yeah. promoted the, this particular view. Yeah, he, he and Luther kicked off this Reformation yeah. movement and, okay. and, and whatnot. Part of that is, the, is a definition of free will that is different I'm not sure that they came up with this idea, but certainly today with the theologians today, like the John MacArthur's, um, the, uh, the Vody Bauckham's, um, I'm thinking, I can't remember, I'm seeing his face, there's another guy that I'm just, I'll, I'll think of it in just a minute, but there are a lot of very, very prominent pastors that are, that are Calvinistic in, uh, in what they believe in. Calvinists believe uh, when they they say free will, they are they are what's called a com- they're compatibilists. The idea that free will and determinism actually fit together. They believe that God determines all things, and we're determined to do what God wants us to do. But what they the way they fit that together is they'll say we are free to do whatever we want to do. So our desires, as long as we're following our desires, we're free, if that makes sense. Let me read this to you. It's also from the Predestination and Free Will books. I pulled these definitions directly out of the beginning of that. Okay. And to begin with, uh, it says, they, speaking about the compatibilists, they agree that God determines all human choices and activity, but they deny that this is incompatible with human freedom and responsibility. Determined individuals can still be considered free and thus responsible for their actions, it is argued, as long as they are doing what they want to do. So okay, this, gets, get this gets into this definition problem. Mm-hmm. If I say somebody has free will, I mean that they can make whatever choice that they want, including you know, I, can, I can choose A or I can choose B. What they mean is the person is freely choosing to do whatever he or she desires to do. But then they would tell you that God decides what their desires are, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Calvinists will use a phrase, um, and it's it's a biblical phrase. There's an Old Testament. I forget where it is in the Old Testament. But it talks about turning someone's heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Ah, uh, yeah. Because I, I was I was thinking of you know where it said God 
hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yeah, we use that a lot too. Yeah, yeah. that's that's They'll one that, that that's too. popped up in yep. in conversations that I've had. So. Yeah, that happens. That's a fairly common thing. Yeah. Um, and what they will say is, until God chooses to turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh, you can never come to God. You can never turn to God. You you can't. It's impossible for you to do that. You can't do it on your own. That's right. And when they have when when God has turned your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, you can't not come to God. You're going to come to God. And and the way they escape that or try to escape it, I don't think it escapes it. The way they try to escape it is God gives you a different set of desires. So according to their theology, when you're born, you're in, you're a child of wrath and you have a desire to sin and a desire to rebel against God and a desire to hate God. So you're doing all these terrible things because you desire to do that. And they'll call that freedom. But at the same time, they'll say, well, can I turn to God? Not unless God gives you a heart of flesh. And that's where the problem comes in. A heart of flesh or spirit with that? It's, uh, it's, they'll turn it from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Ah, I think okay. that's what it is. It's, it's, I, think that, I think it's in Jeremiah. Okay. I, I don't remember. But um, you turn from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And when God turns you, effectively what he does is he wakes you up and yeah. says, you're now a member of my elect. Now, I'm saying that in that way, and that's not how they believe it. They believe that, you, that the elect were chosen before the beginning of the, the world. It's not like at some point in history, God says, okay, you're going gonna, you're gonna to join the team. It's never like that. God decided before any of us were born, before the world began, everybody that's going to be saved. And he's decided you're going to get the heart of flesh. This other person's going to get this heart of stone. But the person with the heart of stone is going to do whatever they want to do, which is rebel against God. So they're free. I don't think that's freedom. I think the, the idea of freedom means that I could choose to turn to God, but they would deny that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So they basically, from the time we pop out of the womb, uh, there's some things that are determined before that even happened. Everything is determined, effectively. Yeah, so when I come out, I could be a... Uh, have a heart of stone to, yep. to use our language that we're using that potentially and God already knows this that I'm going to come around right and then I could have this heart of stone which God already knows I'm not going to he, he this this guy's not going to come around right and it's and it's not that he's not going to come around that is true but it's God's choosing not to give me a heart of flesh. Right. So I'm never going to come around unless God does this. So I'm I'm condemned from the get. I, see, I've yeah, already I've already got a kind of a problem here. But yeah, according, can, to, according to Calvinism, only the elect will ever be saved, and God decides before the beginning of time who's going to be saved. Right. And that leads to a God that only loves certain people. And yeah. the Calvinists will admit that God doesn't love everybody. Jesus didn't die on the cross for everybody. He only died for the elect. And it's very specific, and that's you know. Huh, let me give you. Let me let me read you an analogy. There's a book called Why I Am Not a Calvinist. Jerry Walls is a philosopher, a Christian philosopher. I think he's from the University of Houston, at least that's the memory that I have. But he wrote this book along with a guy named Joseph uh, Dongle. And on page 54 and 55 of this book, he gives a really interesting analogy. And he talks about the the nature of God. See, this is why I think it's a problem. Um, with compatibilism, because I think it brings the nature of God into question. I don't think God is an all-loving God, and I don't think he's the greatest conceivable being. Um, And I think that's why compatibilism fails. 
um, because it really doesn't offer freedom and it offers us a God that's inferior. He, he's not, you know, God could choose to love one additional person and he would be a greater being by adding one person that he loves, turning one more person's heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He doesn't do that. He's not as great a being. I, I would so like in, in uh, because I don't want our listeners to get confused because I was at first I thought you were talking about that you didn't believe that God was a loving God. Oh no, but, that's not what that, I'm saying. Yeah, the the in that view of compatibilism, yeah, it would be hard to see that God was the extreme essence of love. I think that's the right way to say. Okay, it, yeah. God only loves the elect. According right. to compatibilism, he's according got, to these, right. the, this, this theology. And he's got this other group that he created that's just yeah. going to, you so know. If I, if I want everybody to be saved, and I do, I want everybody to go to heaven. If I do that, does that mean I'm more loving than God? How could I be more loving than a maximally loving being? It's impossible. Yeah. So, no, I don't think that, I don't think that makes sense. I want to read this example to you because it helps. It helped me conceptualize this idea a okay. bit. Um, and it's Jerry Walls, I think, that wrote this. Um he says, imagine this scenario. Parents from around the world send their children to a rustic camp set in the midst of Kentucky's bluegrass region for the summer. All 100 children become infected with a deadly virus during the first week of camp and have but one month to live. Fortunately, a specialist who has seen similar outbreaks in New Mexico knows of a treatment, the yucca cactus when ground to a pulp, blended with vinegar, and ingested over a period of three weeks, will completely counteract the virus and return the children to full health. Unfortunately, every child finds the smell of the concoction so utterly repulsive that no amount of coaxing by even the best of counselors succeeds in getting anyone to eat any of it. To make matters worse, the virus somehow drives the children mad prompting them to lash out in foul language at those trying to help them and to accuse their counselors of gross misconduct. Luckily, yet another specialist develops a serum that, when injected hypodermically, creates within the child an insatiable passion for eating the yucca mash. Now imagine that news of the virus reaches the alarmed parents. The camp director immediately sends a letter reassuring them that he loves all the children, that he is offering to all their children the life-saving yucca mash in liberal quantities, that he will supply the extensive preparation without charge, and that all children will be brought to the cafeteria three times a day and strongly urged to eat. Three months later, the parents arrive in the bluegrass to retrieve their children, but at the campsite, They are stunned to discover that 75 children have died from the virus. Interrogating the director, they discover that the life-saving food could not work its wonders unless the child was injected with the appetite stimulant. On further questioning, they discovered that the director had chosen only to inject 25 children with the serum, though he had an unlimited supply at his disposal. To say nothing about their anger and grief, the parents are utterly perplexed. In chorus, they, they immediately challenged the claim made by the director in the letter that they had received, asking him, how can you claim to have loved the 75 dead children if you could have saved them, but didn't? We can imagine just how unconvincing some of the director's answers might be. Uh, but I offered the yucca mash liberally, freely, and passionately. Yes, but all this talk about the merits of the mixture misses the issue of the serum. 
but the children are to blame since they ate exactly what they wanted and they violently rejected my help. Yes, but you fully controlled exactly what each child wanted. But note how much attention I lavished on these children in the last weeks of their lives, and you call this love, to provide the most exciting camp activities to a child as she dies while you withhold the very serum of life. I think that's the problem with compatibilism. I think that's the problem with Calvinism, too, or one of the problems. I think there's a lot of problems with Calvinism. But So the idea of compatibilism is I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and then God determines what my wants are. And if God doesn't turn everybody's heart of stone into a heart of flesh, then he doesn't love the people that he doesn't. And they'll tell you that, that he doesn't love the people that he, that he doesn't turn their heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And some of them wow. will say, well, he gives them this wonderful, beautiful world to live in. Well, that's right. But he's going to send them to hell for eternity. He could have turned their heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Nothing prevents that, you know, but he just chose not to do that. Yeah. So I think compatibilism as a definition, it's an interesting definition but I think these are the implications of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a bad, it leads to a bad place. It leads to a concept of God that is genuinely a tyrant and is uh, is not all loving, which I don't think is where we want, at least I don't want to go with that. You know, they'll say God is sovereign and they'll talk about God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things I found out about, um, I heard, I think it was Jerry Wallace talking about it. He was talking about one of the most complete sort of, um, textual studies on the nature of God was done by, I believe it was, was, um, Luther. It was Calvin. It was one of those two. It may have been Calvin. He says, it's just this huge, huge volume, just so well-researched, so in depth, but he left out the, the Bible verse, God is love. Didn't even mention it. And that's, that's not, I, I don't think, so that's why I think Calvinism can fail because you have to reject the God that I believe exists, which is an all-loving God. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can be a, a compatibilist. And I think compatibilism ultimately breaks down and leads back to determinism. They'll say, oh, you're free. Well, you're free to do what you want to do, but God tells you what you want to do. So that's not real freedom. Yeah. Does it make sense? Oh, yeah. I, I, as you were uh, reading that, um, I, the, what came to mind was in Numbers uh, chapter 21, mm-hmm. starting at about verse 6, where the bronze serpent. Yep. And, you know, God provides a remedy. Now, yep. he didn't make, you know, the, the people were dying because they had been bit by this uh, serpent. And God said, okay, Moses, you know, pleaded their case. And he said, okay, um, make this serpent and put it on a staff. And whoever looks at it. Yeah. Um, Will be healed. Yep. There won't be a problem. Yep. I mean, so so that's the kind of God that I say. Okay, if we People got a get problem, to look. anybody that wants to look yeah, can look. But yeah. you don't have to look. That's right. Here's um, here's the verse that I think is a stake in the heart of Calvinism, and I know we're turning a little bit more to Calvinism, but I kind of expected that we would. But here. it's you know it's free. I mean that's that's yeah. the, you know those guys are the big guns that kind of does does God does God give man free will is the question, and free will in the sense that we really genuinely can choose, and we can't just be determined what we're going to feel, and then we're going to follow that path. Can we genuinely turn? In other words, is God ever? They'll say God's never thwarted. Does God always get what God wants? I refer everyone to Matthew 23. And here's what it says, starting at verse 37. This is Jesus talking. 
O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These are people that Jesus wanted to save. Yep. They rejected him. Yep. This is not the Calvinist worldview doesn't doesn't hold together, yeah. I don't think. And you were reading red letters, right? Not on here. They were purple. <laughs> no, they're they are red letters, that's right. This is Jesus talking. This is Jesus you gotta talking. do what Jesus says. Yeah, yeah. So I know we're I know we're running up against time of, and rather than just continuing to extend this, I want to quickly go through and describe what I think actual free will means. And okay. that's that's libertarian free will. Okay. And your this is your term libertarian or is this It's not my term. It's just this is just the term okay, for libertarian. It's out there. Okay. It's yeah, it's yeah. I okay. don't make too many terms of my own up. Okay. I might every once in a while. Okay. I I thought you made some I words some up, up in some time in our conversations, but that's another jabber That's another No, I don't do that. Yeah, that's another conversation. So the the idea of libertarian free will is that we are free to do um, whatever we genuinely want to do. So here's the definition. It's again from this predestination and free will book. It's a really good book. Um, the quote is, other advocates of specific sovereignty deny this deterministic view of human freedom, talking about um, compatibilism. That is, they deny that what occurs prior to the point at which a decision is made always determines what will be done. They deny, for example, that what has happened in the past necessarily determines what flavor of ice cream I will choose. Given all that has happened before the choice is made, I may well be able to order either vanilla or chocolate. And it is only when people have the ability to act differently in this sense that they are truly free and responsible. Those who accept this view of human freedom are usually called self-determinists or libertarians. And there's one more, um, one more real quick. They talk about this idea of agent causation. They'll say, well, where did this choice that I make come from? Did the pool ball hit another pool ball that hit this pool ball? And then all of a sudden I'm going into this particular pocket. Um, they'll say, no, we're, we're free moral agents. God has given us freedom. That's part of the nature of God. Whenever God says, let's create man in our image in Genesis, he's creating us with the ability to make choices. And we saw that in the garden. Um, and, the, and so that's called agent causation. And let me read this one other quote just really quick, quickly here. Again, same book. Uh, but it's actually from uh, Bruce Reichenbach's essay on page 102 of this. And he says, To say that a person is free means that, given a certain set of circumstances, the person, to put it in the past tense, could have done otherwise than he did. He was not compelled by causes either internal to himself, the genetic structure or or irresistible drives, or external, other persons or God. To act as he did. I'm going to read that sentence without the parentheses. He was not compelled to either to by causes either internal to himself or external to act as he did. In other words, he was free to choose. Though certain causal conditions are present and indeed are necessary for persons to choose or act, they are free. Uh, if they are free, these causal conditions are not sufficient to cause them to choose or act. The individual is the sufficient cause for the course of action chosen. In other words, I can make whatever choice I want, no matter how powerful. They, they use an argument, they use an example in this book of someone who's given an offer for a job in Austin or in Dallas. And they'll, some of them will say, well, you know, all these conditions being the same, they're going to choose this one or they're going to choose that one. And, and 
um, Bruce Reichenbach's position is, look, I'm an agent. I can make my own choices. doesn't matter what the influences are. doesn't matter what the conditions that led to this are. I can just choose whatever I want to. That's ultimately what libertarian free will is, I think. That allows God to be all loving. That allows God to be, um, I mean, God can choose to give us this level of free will, this libertarian free will, such that we can choose all aspects of our life, including turning to God, if we do that. Now, before we end, I want to make sure everybody understands there's, a, there's an idea of something called Pelagianism. There's a guy named Pelagius who said, look, man can turn to God and God doesn't have to be involved in that. Man, by his own power, can just choose to turn to God. I don't think that's true, and I, don't, and I wouldn't consider myself a Pelagian. I think God has to act first, but I think God has acted in the lives of all men. I don't think he has selectively acted. Here, this guy gets a heart of flesh. Here, this guy gets a heart of flesh. Instead, God has administered the, the, the serum, for example, that was in this other, other example, and he's given us the ability to eat the food that saves our lives or to turn to him or to whatever. He's given us the ability to do that. God had to give us that ability. Yeah. I believe he has to act and, and initiate that. You know what, what Roman says, while well, we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. I don't think that this is our initiating a relationship with God, but I think God gives us libertarian free will and he gives us the ability to reach out to him and gives us the ability to choose A or B or C or whatever. Now the question then becomes, what are the consequences of that that belief? I still have to grapple with the idea that God is an all-knowing God. So now I've got this libertarian free will. I think the evidence points to that. I think it's the only one that makes any sense, and I think it's ubiquitous. I think everything we talked about, did you choose to send me this? You know, all these things. I still haven't been able to take that and fit it together with a God that knows everything in advance. So I want to take... We'll stop there, and then we'll turn to that second question in the next um, in the next discussion, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I want to I want to leave our listeners with a, a one thought or maybe two real quickly, um, because as you were talking, you know, in in conversations that I have, uh, verses pop up, you know, different uh, things that I've read from the Bible, and one of the things that came up was. Uh, because I was thinking about an argument where, well, somebody could say, well, when the Holy, when we get the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit drives us and gives us that soft heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, or, does that make sense? Yeah. And, and but Paul turns where, in other words, that 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 spirit that we're given from God could control us, could make us make different decisions, but it wouldn't make sense for Paul to say, "Don't grieve the Holy Spirit." Does that make sense? Because yep. how I understand not grieving the Holy Spirit was you're not paying attention to it. <laughs> right. That's right. You're you're doing your you're doing your own thing. Um, and and the other text you you mentioned Romans uh, because I do think that God did act. He's act in the creation. Of course, he is. Yeah. And where Paul in, in Romans chapter one and verse eighteen, he says, you know, basically in that section, you know, uh, there isn't anybody that has an excuse because God has um, made Himself evident from what's being created. Yep. So we should be able Men to just have go. No excuse. Yeah. Yeah. So we should we should be able to just kind of walk outside and go, wow. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and it might be good for we as humans to kind of look up and say, wow, it's amazing. And then we give thanks. And you're right. 
about all of that, you're also right that there is the verse that says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yep. I think God does take action in people's lives at times, mm-hmm. but I don't think you can take that and extend it and say God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I think you can make an argument that what God was doing, God was it was a judicial hardening. God was punishing Pharaoh because you see at the beginning of those plagues that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And God's like, fine, I'm going to harden your heart. You're not going to be able to believe because... I'm punishing you because you chose not to believe whenever I gave you the opportunity. Just because he does that with Pharaoh doesn't mean he does it with everybody. Yeah. And I, th- I have my own thoughts about that idea. You don't of think Pharaoh really existed, Pharaoh. do you? <laughs> sure, he existed. You think- I, I have my own thoughts about uh, the hardening of, of hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, the, the, in a nutshell, uh, and we can come back. I'm sure I'll derail us in another uh, conversation. But... Um, we I think we do find in Scripture where God did choose individuals for a purpose, mm-hmm. a given purpose, yeah. um, and a given service that He needed to get done, and yeah. and we really don't have any option there. Uh, it, right. It's kind of like um, I. I Similar to, uh, and I, I use this expression with some people that I, when I do spiritual direction mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, spiritual coaching, uh, I'll have the phrase, you're going to go to Nineveh. Yeah, you've told me that before. Yeah, I mean. I don't like hearing so, that. It's so you can, you can go in the whale yeah. or you can just take a boat. You can just go. Yeah. But you're going to get there, okay? Joseph is another good example. Yeah. Yeah. You're, these, this is going to happen. So that's what I mean by purpose and service and not salvation. Yep. Anyway. So let's talk uh, about how you fit these two together. Together next time, and uh, hopefully begin to make some sense of this. Okay, I'm I'm really I'm really enjoying this. Me too. I hope our listeners are. All right, <laughs> we'll see you. You've been listening to Hacks for Life.